Howdy, howdy, howdy from the words of our special guest host. It's Joey. We have Aaron and our special guest, Mr. Kispe. How are y'all doing today? Doing pretty well. Pretty well here. Doing solid as myself. Can't complain. Good to hear. Uh, so just to give a outlook for this episode, like we mentioned in the last podcast, this is going to be kind of a hybrid between our weekly reviews and trying to give a midway point review. So that way we can kind of assess what's happened through the season so far and kind of give our own personal spins on uh, the expectations moving forward for each team and our division races. So to start off, we've decided to break down the teams into four different categories. We have the bottom feeders, Jabir, you know where you lie, the underachievers, the overachievers, and the contenders. We'll start with the bottom feeders. And since Dan put Jabir here, you can start it off, Dan. Uh, I just want to go on record saying that I it was not me who slept on Jabir, but um, but Jabir himself. But to start it off, uh, Jabir, you know, as as much as people like to uh, to to sleep on the the clay bombers, I I don't hate this team. You know, I, I don't I don't hate it. What would I want it? No, you know. But in my eyes, although he is in the bottom feeders. I, I'm kind of a little higher on that. I, I would kind of put him. I, I would su- I would say that his team is doing better than I anticipated. Now, whether you know to take that as you will, but I mean you gotta you gotta be honest here. I mean you still have Steph Joe Burrow. You know J.K. Dobbins. He's been slow start, and will he is he gonna be the leading back in the future? I mean. You know, he still has that chance for run-heavy offense. And you look at his receivers, you know, who knows what's going to come of Claypool. He's been – he's put up a couple solid weeks. You know, granted, last week was absolutely horrible, but you still get you still got A.J. Brown and Tyler Lockett. You know, so it, th- this team definitely has potential. But uh, I, I still still do believe he, belie- he belongs in the bottom feeders category. But um, that's what I got to say. I mean, looking at uh, Jabir's roster, I definitely think that for a rebuilding team, I mean, I think he acknowledges it as much. And I don't want to take this last week away from him because he did lead the league in scoring. But prior to this week, he was 1-11. So he's already pretty much out of playoff contention. But I feel like this team's in a pretty good spot for a team that's trying to, you know, rebuild for future seasons. You know, he still has his first-round draft pick, and he's currently the 11th overall team so he would have the second pick if the season ended today and jk dobbins is underperforming so that's helping him with his draft capital he has aj brown who's starting to ball out he again got a huge deal in chase claypool um that's just you know getting free assets like turn a third round pick into a guy who now would probably go for a first round pick in a trade he has tyler lockett and he has three okay tight ends um personally i would be trying to get rid of at least one of those guys to a team that's desperate for tight end help but it's an all-around you know he has pieces all around on offense um still needs to refine the depth and add more pieces to you know become a contender in about a year or so and then on the defense he has quality players you know up and down through the uh through the roster look at shaq thompson at the linebacking core uh, rashawn evans 
has been a little slow in the point department, but we know how talented he is. He drafted Chase Young in the first round this year, and he's only just getting started, and he was dealing with that groin injury. Uh, Antoine Winfield seems to have been a great rookie pick as he is balling out in that Tampa Bay secondary. I like this team where it's at in terms of the rebuild. He just didn't have the pieces to kind of blow it up and acquire a ton of draft capital like you did, Joey. But I think Jabir's done a solid job so far in building his roster for the future. Yeah, uh, I really don't have much to add. I think you guys hit on a lot of the key points, uh, specifically when talking about rebuilding teams. I think my strategy is to stockpile young, talented receivers because they normally or traditionally have taken the longest kind of to grown into relevance or into their wide receiver one roles. And so getting them early, you still have them ahead of time when they're cheaper before they hit their uh, ceilings. And then in terms of running backs, they're the ones that you want to get right before you want to start competing, kind of similar to how you got uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last year, Aaron, and uh, same with Miles Sanders. And then I think that's kind of mimicked. Uh, I want to focus more on to his linebackers. Um, I think the running back and the linebacker position have a lot in common. Again, a lot of us haven't played in a lot of IDP formats, so this is just something that I've taken away on the fly. I feel like as a rebuilding team myself, being able to get uh, Devin Bush, TJ Watt, and someone like that to uh, kind of lean on has been nice, but I'm worried that eventually their point totals are going to start decreasing. So I'm worried that I got them too early. Whereas if you look at Jabir, he really doesn't have a star-studded linebacker core yet. So similar to his running backs, I'm very interested to see when he starts aggressively attacking that position as well as the running backs. Because when he does that, that's when he, you know he's going to feel confident in uh, his rebuild getting closer to being complete. So that's what I'm looking for moving forward. Um, to give an expectation for the rest of the season, I continue seeing him in this bottom feeder category. I, don't, I see him with a top three pick regardless, which is what he's shooting for. And so if that's the case, I think it's just all going according to plan. Our other team in this category is going to be the Chesapeake Retrievers, who share a 3-11 a and 11 record with the Sharks. A little bit you know, of similarities in terms of having some top-end talent. Uh, this roster, I think, is a little more top-heavy, um, given that they have Christian McCaffrey, who it really doesn't help this roster that he's been injured for almost you know, the entire season. Thankfully, it sounds like he's going to be coming back this week, so this Retrievers roster could you know, start competing a little bit more. They've really been buoyed by injuries at that position group. Uh, Cam Akers hasn't really done much at all this year due to injuries. Um, A.J. Dillon just hasn't hit the field at all. He seems to have lucked into a couple of guys in Miles Gaskin and Chase Edmonds. Maybe I would look to be selling those off to contenders if I was, if I was Hunter. I don't really think that they're long-term assets for this roster. Maybe he does. Uh, you know, it's his roster. But I just don't think this team has quite the amount of you know, potential building blocks that the the Sharks have. I mean, you look at receiver, he's got Jerry Judy, who has been okay to start the year, but he's, you know, had QB troubles in Denver. Um, but outside of Jerry Judy, there isn't really a great wide receiver prospect. I mean, he's got a lot of young guys and Henry Ruggs and Brendan Ayuk and Deontay Johnson, who could develop and turn into weekly contributors. But right now, they're just not really guys that, I myself have a ton of confidence in and 
you can just look at every other position group on the roster and identify it as a spot that needs work, especially on the defensive side. I mean, linebacker, he's relatively well off for a rebuilding team, but this team has gotten very little production out of the defensive line and the secondary this year. And I think that that's really kind of something this team's going to have to look to address, you know, the rest of the season, but especially heading into next year's uh, draft. I think this team's got some work to do to uh, work its way out of this bottom feeder category. Yeah. I know you mentioned that uh, Chris McCaffrey being injured for this team was kind of unfortunate, but especially as a rebuilder, I think that's the complete opposite. I think he lucked into having his uh, top talent injured for a good half of the year, a majority of the fantasy season. That's putting him into that 12 spot in line for the number one pick at the moment as he the retrievers are the lowest scoring team in the league, coming in with 1,129 points on the year. I believe that ha- obviously having McCaffrey out has fed into that. And with McCaffrey back, I genuinely believe that Jabir is going to have a much better opportunity to take that number one pick from the retrievers. Although we do see that Jabir does have more talent all around they are only within 36 points or 37 points of each other in terms of points scored on the year and again that's without the best player on the retrievers so i'm very curious to see how that battle for the number one pick kind of plays out in the long term but like you mentioned i thought it was really interesting coming to the year when we did our yearly preview and whatnot Uh, i do believe it was cole on for an episode uh, who was a very big supporter of the Retrievers draft. If I remember, it was one of his favorite drafts, uh, specifically getting Judy and Cam Akers. Speaking of the Akers pick, it just hasn't worked out. And that's really scary coming at the running back position, especially when you invest a top six uh, draft pick into him. It's something that you wouldn't expect the team to have to do in terms of trading to acquire the entire Rams backfield after you invest that draft capital into a running back that clearly Hunter believed in. And so you mentioned with the luck, you could call it, that Jabir got with Claypool. This is just the exact opposite scenario for Hunter. And you can't really base that on drafting talent. I do believe it does come down to good and bad luck at that rate, considering Akers was a heralded top five to eight draft pick at worst. There really wasn't a lot of huge consensus that he was going to be bad or that there's going to be much competition for any carries in that backfield. The main concern was the offensive line. And clearly Henderson and Brown have shown that they can perform with the O-line. So that wasn't a real concern, apparently. There needs to be a way that the retrievers continue getting some draft capital because quite honestly, having Christian McCaffrey is just going to do worse on this roster for himself. I don't see the retrievers having any viable championship contention within the next potentially three to four years it's really a long a long-term play at this point and again that's not all his fault it's kind of the roster he came into with and again some bad luck but if there's ever a time to move a star running back i do believe it is within the next year or so while mccaffrey is at his height in terms of value especially if he comes back from injury now looking 100 percent healthy back to the mccaffrey is old I think that he needs the draft capital or the young prospects he could get for McCaffrey in order to actually successfully pull off this rebuild, especially if he wants to turn it around within the five-year period. So I'm very, that's what I'm looking for moving forward. 
you just have to salvage the situation after the bad luck he's kind of had. And McCaffrey is the way to do it, in my opinion. So just to kind of clarify, you're saying the best route or I guess a, a good route that the retrievers can take is by getting rid of McCaffrey. Yes. So essentially, when you're trying to compete, that's when you want these running backs that are going to put up the, the amount of points at their max value. When you're in a rebuild position like Hunter is in, especially with someone like McCaffrey or even uh, Saquon, Kamara, somebody of that sort, they're really doing more harm than good on your roster. Because if you're trying to rebuild, obviously you're trying to get the highest pick possible, correct? You're not trying to put up more points. You're not trying to get the win. You're playing for the future. So you look at his roster. I don't see him getting enough talent to really compete or contend for the title within the next four years, like I said. And four years down the line, McCaffrey, again, still could be putting up these numbers. And I wouldn't be shocked if he is. But at that time, let me just pull up. I believe he is 23 at the moment, 24. So you figure in four years when he's finally ready to compete for that championship, McCaffrey is going to be 28. If he trades him now for his maximum value, four years down the line when he's ready to compete, he could trade back or get McCaffrey back for a fraction of that cost. Because around the age of 25 or 26 is really when running backs start to lose dynasty value. And sometimes their, their production doesn't match that drop in value. Like they still are putting up the same amount of points, but you can still get them for a cheaper price than what they are now. So if he could just cash in on that value now, start to build his roster around potentially getting him back and kind of fill out his roster better, then trade back for him. And then he could really compete. So that's my thought process. Um, again, obviously nobody needs to agree, but just to explain where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. If that's, you know, if that's something that uh, the retrievers are trying to do moving forward, he should absolutely try to move him now, especially right before he comes off that injury. Um, that being said, the duckies would love uh, Christian McCaffrey, just saying. But uh, yeah, so, you know, looking into the roster, you guys summed it up pretty well. I mean, a lot of young players who really haven't, had i guess just that strong impact on the team like aaron said earlier just with the lucky picks with gaskins doing a lot better than anticipated Edmonds taking that um you know getting a lot of touches in arizona it's just the retrievers again um it's just a team that I'm, I'm glad honestly is in my my division and it has nothing to do with with hunter because hunter has been dealt a bad hand and he's doing the best that he can with it and i feel like comparing to how it was run before it's been turning out a little bit better than like than the last owner that's for sure um <laughs> the last two owners last oh yeah i forgot there was a second one i forget but yeah no i mean hunter keep doing what you're doing uh i think that i don't necessarily agree with joey in the terms that it will take you three to four years uh i think you can possibly turn it within two at the at the latest but you know it all depends as to how what you trade and what you move around you know if i if i was able to bomb my team in uh in one off season i'm pretty sure you can you can skyrocket yours in in a year you know what i mean but yeah i mean that's pretty much all i have to say about the retrievers but now that we're wrapping up the bottom feeder category um we're going to move into the underachievers and 
unfortunately for one of my co-hosts today, we're going to be starting with the duckies in this category. Aaron, you want to lead us away on this one? Yeah, I can go ahead and get us started here with the duckies. They're a team that kind of kept flip-flopping on what they wanted to do this year. You look back to the offseason when Dan traded away Julio Jones and he got two first-round picks in a second, if I remember off the top of my head, and he took T. Higgins, Denzel Mims, and Justin Jefferson. I would say that's pretty good value for Julio Jones at this point, especially looking now how Jefferson Higgins have produced to this point. But then he went at the beginning of this year and traded Terry McLaurin and I believe his first round pick and some other pieces for Keenan Allen and Leonard Fournette, which would kind of signal more of a contending style team. Maybe it was just to try to build a more all around roster. But and now at this point, it kind of seems like he's going back to the, you know, the rebuilding side of things. But I just think that kind of indecisiveness on where to go with this team kind of hurt it a little bit. We've talked about the QBs before. I think Drew Brees is on his way out, but Tua is now on his way in. And if he produces at 70%, 80% of what Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert have to you know start their seasons, I think Tua will be just fine, especially you know going into next year when they likely add a pass catcher with either their pick or the Texans' first rounder. And then in the interim, Jared Goff has been okay. Um, I don't think there's anything to complain about with him, though he's probably more of a number two QB going forward. This team traded for Saquon Barkley, which again signifies more of a rebuilding mindset. But in the interim, they have been, you know, carried pretty hard by the number one overall running back, Alvin Kamara, who I don't think anyone expected to be number one this year. I think people were kind of contentious. I mean, if you look back at the beginning of this year, prior to the season starting, people were there were trade rumors about Alvin Kamara and he was going for very cheap in leagues. I think I got him for Julio Jones in a late first in a different league. And, you know, now I think Dan did a really smart thing by holding on to him. I think he's going to have value for a long time, especially, you know, going into next year with Saquon, T Higgins, Justin Jefferson. Uh, He just traded away Denzel Mims, but I think there's a lot of nice building blocks here. Obviously, I'm sure you guys will touch on the defensive side of things, but he does have Buda Baker, who I can almost assure is the number one overall DB in the league right now. And if I remember looking, I believe the Duckies have five second round picks, uh, four second round picks. It's it's a lot. So this team has some great pieces and has some capital for next year's draft to really kind of make some moves and especially since we just talked about two of the other teams in the central being in the bottom feeder category. I don't think it's going to take too long for the duckies to be able to uh, vault themselves back into contention. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I have uh, the three teams we've kind of talked about so far. I definitely think as a uh, proclaimed rebuilding team, the duckies definitely have the shortest turnaround time. In my opinion, you've really touched on a lot of the building blocks, both on the offensive and defensive end not to mention the uh, draft capital. With a lot of those second-round picks, uh, we've seen in our league's short history that a lot of them have been upper-tier defensive talent, uh, especially at the linebacker position. Um, Some safeties get drafted in there, some edge rushers. Sometimes they go a little earlier at the back end of the first. 
But overall, he definitely has the pieces to address a uh, subpar defense that uh, he did trade away some pieces on throughout the year, which uh, if you're looking for a quick turnaround, I don't know how confident I am in those trades being beneficial for the team. But like I said, he does have those picks to retool and kind of revamp this defense. So it's definitely not in a terrible position at all. Um, Coming in with the third lowest scoring total at 1,195 or so, this is a team that, honestly, looking at some of the names, at least on the offensive side, I would expect just some more points, to be honest with you. You've kind of mentioned they have the number one uh, fantasy running back, both in redraft and dynasty at this point, potentially, in Alma Kamara. Uh, You had Leonard Fournette, who actually hasn't looked bad when he's getting the carries or when he's getting volume. I'm actually, again, I've mentioned before, but I'm very curious to see how that split's going to be moving forward. We saw last week, it was kind of 50-50 on the ground with uh, Fournette getting used much more in the passing game. I don't know if that's just because it kind of was a blowout or if that's going to be the plan moving forward. So if that is the plan moving forward, he could potentially have Kamara, Fournette, and a 60-40 split next year, and Saquon Barkley, which is kind of a beastly three-headed monster there at running back. You mentioned Tua, as long as he's performing next year at about a 90 to 95% performance rating, I think is going to be a very solid option. And again, you always have Jared Goff, who's still a top 15 fantasy quarterback at this rate. At the tight end position, I def- I was expecting more from Austin Hooper this year, and it's kind of been a little bit of a disappointment. So one place that the Duckies could potentially address with maybe some of their uh, draft capital could be the tight end position. You see a lot of the uh, upper tier teams actually have some pretty solid tight ends, if not really good tight ends. So that's something if he is looking for a quick turnaround, he could look for. And then you've mentioned a lot of his receivers um, trading for Keenan Allen and then getting those younger studs, uh, potential studs at least, and T. Higgins and Justin Jefferson. So if he could find potentially... um, like I said, someone cheaper on the way out that whose value is cheaper, but their production is still um, higher. Um, my guess is somebody like a Robert Woods next year. He could even potentially trade, get Julio back onto his roster, someone of that nature. So this is definitely a team that's just a few pieces, to be honest with you, away from really contention and, in my opinion, running away with the division for the next uh, two to three years. So. I'm a big fan of the Duckies roster um, now that he's kind of acquired all this draft capital and now that he's starting to accept finally one position in terms of rebuilding as opposed to flip-flopping. But uh, I'll I'll leave that decision to you, Dan, and you can kind of speak on your past moves and what you expect from your own team. Yeah, I mean, you know, you guys both said it right. It's just uh, during the offseason – I guess you can say I, I didn't necessarily have a a point in which I was 100% one way or the other. I was very much on the fence because I didn't honestly know what I want. All I knew is that, I mean, what I, <laughs> what, what I had planned is basically I knew that my team, you know, in during the offseason was a contender for, for the year. Um, that being said, I don't like keeping things the same way for a long time. So I thought, you know, well, if I were able to get, you know, if moving Julio, if I were able, uh, able to move him and potentially get some uh, uh, ROI on that. And, you know, I can 
get rid of an, an older stud and potentially get a you know, someone who can last me for next couple years, you know, and, and that turns out to be Jefferson and T Higgins, which like Aaron said, is a, is a good move. But then I got rid of scary Terry and, and my first rounder uh, for Keenan some other parts and Leonard Fournette, you know, me anticipating Fournette was going to do a lot better. I was really trying to compete at that point, you know, just kind of uh, going all in and then, you know, Fournette gets injured. Uh, Drew Brees doesn't have Michael Thomas. Um, I went from having the best defensive line to probably one of the worst. Now it's just, it's uh, it's been kind of a, a little. I don't know. It just kind of sucks, you know. But I mean, you have to kind of accept it one way or the other. That all right. Well, I'm obviously not a contender anymore, so I just need to pull the trigger on it now and see what I can do, you know. And uh, immediately following that, I was able to get Saquon Barkley, and I remember talking several times with Dylan over the phone, like 5 a.m., me going into work and him just getting off league or something and just talking about this trade over and over. And I remember that he really was about to pull the trigger with Joey's trade, which, sorry, Joey, but Saquon's mine now. Um, but that being <laughs> said, you know, uh, when I'm looking at my team, I think the the position in which has been taken a huge dip is actually my tight end position in my defensive line, as I said earlier. You know, um, Hooper, who with the Falcons last year was absolutely fucking fantastic, but now he moved over to to the Browns with just too many offensive weapons, and it's just you know it's it's not consistent enough. I know uh, Joy a couple weeks ago said you know one week is going to be the OBJ show, you know the other week is going to be Nick Chubb, and the other week is going to be Austin Hooper. It's just it's very very hard to kind of determine who is going to come out on top within the Browns. And then, um, yeah, and defensive ends, you know, in order to get Saquon, I did have to get rid of, uh, I had to break up the Bosa brothers, which kind of made me a little sad. But, uh, you know, considering one of them, one of them did get sent to IR. And at that point, I knew I had to kind of pull the trigger on becoming a rebuilding team. I knew he just had to be done. That being said, uh, my replacements for the two Bosa's haven't been doing too well because they just came off a of free agency. <laughs> um, you know, Cameron Jordan, I was hoping he would he, he'd perform a little bit more. But, I mean, yeah, my linebackers, again, hopefully I am able to turn around with a lot of the second-round picks that I have, just get someone, maybe not a stud, but someone who is just going to be more consistent than Kyler Fackerel, you know, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, we've already talked about my offensive pieces. I'm actually really excited for my offensive pieces. Um, pleasantly surprised that they're doing as well as they're doing now, you know, Jefferson and Higgins in particular, I wasn't expecting too much from them. I was hoping to hold on to them for the next year and then just hopefully have them, show a little light towards the end of the year, but they're doing a lot sooner and it's, it's, it's really great to see, but, um, yeah, I'm excited for the duckies. And, um, as long as I'm not in, uh, the bottom, uh, bottom feeders category, I think I'm pretty happy. I think that pretty much sums up the duckies. So if we want to move on next, Dan, I'm going to let you have first shot at the paladins, our next team in the underachievers and my second co-host to be in the category. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Paladins, you know, once I sent out that group me message of people, you know, who are contending and wanting to compete, 
you know, wanted to go for some trades. There's a reason why I didn't include the Paladins, mostly just because I forgot. But I mean, they also just, I, I actually did think that the Paladins were going to do great. Uh, I know in the offseason, there was this, just a lot of talk that Aaron was going to move forward and become a, you know, even probably possibly win the ship. But, uh, you know, that being said, it's just, I honestly know, don't know what's going on with with the Paladins. Um, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I was expecting a lot more. I mean, he's still pretty, really, really good running back and can't wait to see what he can do with the Kansas City Chiefs. But now with uh, with Mr. Bell going with them, it's, it's going to be, you know, hard to determine what, what outcome there is. Uh, Paladins, I, I get, for me, I guess the quarterback position is going to be something that always stands out to me. I'm not a fan of Sam Darnold. I'm not a fan of Matthew. I'm a, actually, I am a fan of Matthew Stafford. I'm just not a fan of him in fantasy. And then you have Baker Mayfield. You know, Baker Mayfield is just so up and down. It's I'm sure you know it more than anybody else, Aaron, but you, it's kind of hard to determine when to start and when to not, especially when you have someone like Matthew Stafford, who's exactly like me, uh, Baker, in my opinion. But when you look at the roster, uh, the roster, I guess the the wideouts is what stands out a lot. You know, unfortunately, you did have that Michael Thomas, who's just been out for the entire season, and now there's trade rumors that he might even get moved around. Um, when you have him and D Hop and Tyler Boyd healthy and able to play, I mean, that's that's a team that you really can't can't knock down. You know. There's a reason I didn't sell Julio Jones to the Paladins, even when they did offer me a better offer than Jason. But I just knew that if I gave him to to the Paladins, it's just going to be too much to handle for the next year or two. That being said, I should have because <laughs> I just would have gotten more capital. But, I mean, you know, it is what it is. And the Paladins, I mean, sorry, brother. You could just hopefully maybe next year, you know, maybe next year. That's actually a really good segue, Dan. You, uh, I'm glad we didn't plan that, but I kind of wanted to mention that with the Paladins. I know we've talked before, Aaron, and I'm not going to beat the dead horse about the quarterback position, but you've kind of mentioned that instead of kind of giving away on poor value to, on one of your skill position players to get a quarterback, there's always the option of just trying to go again next year. That's another year of development for both Donald and Baker. Um, I'm not confident in saying another year will do better for Stafford, but again, there's always free agency. There's always the draft potentially to get a late round pick kind of to help with your depth there, but there's definitely more options and ways for you to find another quarterback moving into next season. And so that made me kind of want to look at your uh, players to kind of see if there was anybody that really would drop off in value outside of the quarterback position. And honestly, it, it's hard for me to find one. DeAndre Hopkins, I don't see any reason to expect him to do worse next year as opposed to this year. And then Brandon Cooks, and that's the one, honestly, out of your starters, I expect the most regression possible for. But again, you still have Tyler Boyd, who is the water seer one in Cincy. And then you have Michael Thomas on the bench who, once again, I don't see any way you could expect him to do worse next year as opposed to this year. So, And then Mark Andrews at tight end, 
most of your defensive pieces are middle-aged. Um, I don't, besides the defensive line, I don't see a lot of fall off, but I do believe that defensive linemen are undervalued in the league. So I do think you could potentially make some deals in the offseason to get some help there. So as long as you address that defensive line and the quarterback position in the next year, I really don't see why you wouldn't have a just as good, if not a better shot next year, just based on the uh, bad hand that you've kind of been dealt this year. But that's all I'm going to say, and I'll leave the rest up to you. Yeah, I think it's pretty apparent that during the offseason, we can do all the power rankings and all the guessing on what's going to happen in terms of, you know, on paper. But obviously, when the fantasy season comes, just randomness pops up. Michael Thomas out for the entire year so far, aside from you know, three very ineffective quarters against the Buccaneers. CeeDee Lamb was balling out, but now his QB's done for the year. And now I'm having to rely on uh, Ben DiNucci. No confidence there. Nick Chubb going down for a significant period of time. Miles Sanders now going down. I mean, sometimes fantasy just doesn't fall the way you want it to. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that I haven't made some uh, poor decisions this year. But yeah, I mean, I think my team is going to be in fine shape for next year. Um, it just didn't really work out the way I wanted it to so far. And I mean, even still, I went 2-0 this week. I'm at 7-7. Seven and seven. I have tiebreakers over the Spiders and the Wendigos. And so I still think I have a chance. You know, it's not like I'm written off at this point, but definitely considering, you know, I was the number two team in the power rankings, uh, where I'm currently at is definitely a bit of a disappointment, to say the least. And this one's a little bit different from the other two. Uh, we're going to have the Omaha Hawks. Uh, just This was a team where I don't really think there was a, a very appropriate category to put them in. I wouldn't say that they're you know, a bottom feeder by any sense. And I really don't know if I'd say they're underachieving. I think they're doing about what you would expect from, you know, their team's roster overall. But especially just given how the last two weeks they've kind of fizzled out. They've gone 0-2 in back-to-back weeks. And now they're losing Mike Davis and Raheem Mostert. It's just kind of a team that I think is more appropriate for this category at the moment. Pat Mahomes has obviously been great. Tom Brady's been great. He can only start one, unfortunately. But he's rock solid there. The running backs are really the the talking point for this team and really kind of why they're going to be drugged down. But we've kind of harped on that enough, and I'm sure that you guys will have something to say about that. I mean, we've talked at length about how this team just has so many IDP guys, and they've invested a lot. But if you go and look at the, you know, all three of those position groups, um, nobody is, you know, quote unquote, balling out. I mean, Patrick Queen's doing really well. He's at 63 points, and then Khalil Max at 48 and a half. But there's no, there's one defensive back who's over 40 points, and I don't believe that Ryan's been starting him in Chat Griffin. Everyone else is in that 30 to 25 point range. Defensive line, nobody's above 33 points, and so all that capital just hasn't really uh, translated to fantasy production so far. It could always change. Um, but I do think ultimately the thing that kind of is going to hurt this team is the fact that their two are, well, aside from Calvin Ridley, their two most valuable assets are George Kittle and TJ Hawkinson. And just knowing how big of a fan of Iowa that Ryan is, I don't think he's going to trade those pieces. And I do think that that ultimately does kind of hurt his 
you know, chances to round out his roster. But I mean, at the end of the day, they are flexible. You know, you can start both of them. And if he can find a way to acquire some more pieces to round out the roster heading into, you know, the rest of this year and next year, I think he'll be good next year. But that's just kind of where things are at with the uh, the Hawks right now. I mean, Calvin Ridley has just been balling out. And I feel that, I don't know, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of in that position where I was for myself in the offseason. It's like, well, he is such a big name, just like how it's kind of how I felt about Scary Terry. He's such a big name and he's still really young, but what do you, do you hold on to him? Do you, do you get that? Do you make use of the production that he's giving you now, but like, but for what, you know, or do you get rid of him as, you know, I would say he's performing the best that he's have been in his whole career. Do you get rid of him now to, you know, for the value that he's worth and try to build off of that, maybe get a, a really good running back off out of that, you know, or at least a decent one that you can start week by week. That's kind of where I would be leaning towards moving in the future. That being said, I'm, 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 I'm still kind of a fan of the Hawks. Uh, again, just like I said of, of Jabir and the retrievers. I'm glad we're on the same division just because it makes it easier for me in the future. But I've also been kind of, scared of the Hawks at the same time because the Hawks has always been just a a wild card. You know, it happened last year in, in the beginning of last year. It happened in the beginning of this year, but just like how Aaron was saying, it did fizzle out. You know, is this just going to be something that's going to be repeating or is there going to be a change to kind of make that hot start just prolonged throughout the season? You know, what do you have to do? And looking at this team, it's, you know, outside of the running back game, it's it's hard for me to say. Yeah, I'm going to kind of take a similar approach to how I talked about the Paladins. For the Hawks, I really think these past two weeks are going to be a good indicator of what to expect for the rest of the year. Despite, you're going to see some fantastic games from Kittle, uh, from Calvin Ridley, and Patrick Mahomes eventually is going to put up some QB1 performances on the year. I'm never going to doubt him out for the entirety of a season, even though he's had kind of a rough start, just uh, fantasy-wise. But outside of those really high scores, I just don't see anywhere on this team that you can really get consistency from. And you've seen that from a lot of the top teams. The The ones with the most consistency are the ones that are going to win at the end of the day. And that's something that I'm waiting to see a team similar to the Hawks who have shown that they can have such high highs, but also have low lows, kind of showing that versatility. I, I want to see a versatile team that competes, but I just I don't see it being this roster. Overall, I think this is a team that, again, does not have a majority of their own draft capital going into this next season. And quite honestly, I do believe they finished second in the division. Um, it's going to be very close for them getting into playoffs. We'll see how that plays out. But despite how they finish, they don't. I they don't have a chance to win the championship. They don't have a chance in finishing last. So they're just going to be a middling team for the season, which is never where you want to be. But going into next season, when they do get some more draft capital to potentially move around, you have you st- like I said, you still will have Mahomes. Calvin Ridley is just coming into his prime. You're going to have quite a few great years out of him. George Kittle is the tight end one for uh, dynasty formats. 
I really think that between TJ Hawkinson um, and uh, the draft capital that he could really make some moves. And this is something where even if he believes in Hawkinson just as much as he does in Kittle, clearly Kittle will have much more value in terms of trade potentially. And I know he doesn't want to do it. And I don't blame him. Like having your loyalty to your favorite teams and your favorite players is important. Uh, that's the whole, that's the fun in dynasty. You get to pick the players you want, but at the same time, if you want to prioritize winning, uh, specifically winning a championship, I believe that moving Kittle and his draft capital next year to kind of fill out his skill positions, specifically the running back position, is the best way for him to get into contention. And so that's something that's just going to be his choice. Um, if not, I think he's going to have to be in it for the long haul. Again, it's just been bad luck in terms of the investment he's put into the defensive end uh, through his draft capital that hasn't turned up into fantasy points. Clearly, um, IDP players are much harder per to predict in terms of fantasy output, not only from week to week, but from year to year and also coming in as a prospect. And so that's definitely proven to be the more risky strategy in terms of where your investment goes. Maybe one year just really pays off for Ryan. If he continues his strategy, we'll see. But overall, I expect a middling year. And I think Ryan's a really smart guy. I think in the offseason, he's going to give a fair evaluation of his own team. And I'm really curious to see where he takes them afterwards. All right. Well, um, and to kind of just start off with the last team in the uh, underachievers category, I mean, might be surprised you might not you might already be anticipating a little bit but we do have to go with jason and the spiders um you know it's just a team that you know a lot of people thought that was going to be a contender again and might get the back-to-back -back ships i know that reigning champs himself jason was thinking the same thing you know he's putting all his just putting it all out there you know <laughs> you know, group me i mean everyone's seen it everyone's seen how what well, what Jason has got to say about and at least before the season started. Now that we're a couple weeks into the season and we've kind of see how the spiders are are able to produce. I mean, you know, th this week is a good example of just what to anticipate. I mean, you what scored one sixty seven against <laughs> Jabir, which I know Jabir's extremely happy about that. Um, <laughs> you know, being the having the best week that he's scored in this year against a fellow t Tennessee rival. Uh, I know that must feel good. And I know that must feel bad for you, Jason. Yeah. No, I mean, I was, I was hoping J Jason, someone that I like trading with, uh, I've only done a couple trades with him, but every time we've kind of talked, it's always, it's always been kind of a, a good, um, good interaction. He's a really nice guy and I like his team and I was hoping for good things to come from it. You know, he's just, it, but it hasn't just gone into the that same limelight that he was in last year. And when you look at his roster, I mean, you know, besides this week, for example, besides Julio Jones, you've had Robert Wood and Russell Gage who had a combined uh, 12.4 points. You know, it just hasn't been able to perform as as much as he wants to. Um, when we're looking at his running back positions, I mean, yeah, you have Henry. Henry and Gurley can only do so much for you. 
and and kind of it's kind of surprising too because you would expect more from Kenyon Drake, especially from last year. But I don't know. It's just Kenyon Drake. Now Chase Edmonds has been able to kind of produce with the same amount of opportunities. If I'm correct, I'm I, I don't really watch Arizona games. Um, not ever since uh, Chandler Jones has been placed in the IR. But uh, I don't really have too much to say about the 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 spiders right now. That's all right. I always have a lot to say. But in, in terms of his players, like if you look up and down this roster, me personally, I'm not a fan of a lot of the players. They're just not my style or my preference in terms of what I like in the players. But he still has put up, it looks like, 1,282 points, which is fourth in the league, which is kind of crazy to me just because like looking at his roster, like I said, I just, Saying I get a sour taste in my mouth is making it sound much more extreme than it is, but I just don't get a good feeling looking at his team if it was if it was mine anyway. But the fact that he has put up the fourth most points in the league is really deceptive in my opinion. And although he is at the bottom of the West Division, we've seen last year that an entire division can get into the playoffs. Clearly, um, Jason and the Spiders are going to be fighting for that last playoff seed. Um, right now, they are in ninth in the standings, and the high tide are only one one victory point ahead of them in that sixth seed. So it's going to be really close. Again, it's going to come down to the bottom of the East versus the bottom of the West. And if Jason's roster can continue to be putting up this amount of points, despite not having maybe the sexiest of players at any position, really. I, it's really hard to, for me to give an analysis on this team. And that's kind of what you kind of alluded to, Dan, with uh, not having a lot of words to say. But it's going to be a team, I think, that is one of the most versatile moving forward in terms of I can see a scenario where they absolutely just fall off and have a really shitty end of the year. But at the same time, I do believe each of the players have a significant ceiling now what are the odds that they hit it i'm not a fan of but there's always a chance that they do and if they do i could genuinely see this team kind of competing for that even the four or five seed uh as the height i don't don't see them taking the division but the fact that that has such the realm of possibilities should still feel really good for jason i i wouldn't be discouraged um i He's already, like I said, and very similar to other teams, he's kind of already gone all in on this year and kind of reinvested for the back-to-back campaign, which he uh, would like to rub in our face all offseason uh, in the group me. But if I was a betting man, this is not the team I'd want to bet on, despite their current position. I'd definitely take the under. But there, it's not one that I'm 100% confident in that is going to fall off. When you have names like Julio Jones, Robert Woods, Derrick Henry, Kenyon Drake when he comes back healthy, Todd Gurley has looked better than many of us uh, were anticipating. Uh, you still have Deshaun Watson. And then he still has a decent amount of like really solid names on defense. So there's definitely a shot. I'm not a big believer in the roster, but I'm definitely going to acknowledge that there's a chance. Yeah, I don't have a ton more to say on the Spiders. I think if you just look at the this whole group as a whole, there's pretty much one common denominator between all four teams. 
and that that is just simply that it is really hard to compete in this league when you have haters. I mean, we look at the duckies who are despised by the clams. We have the spiders who obviously myself and Jabir have been rooting for their you know failure and their demise this year. I mean, my list is probably too long to count at this point. I mean, I've got the spiders, I've got the high tide, I've got the the, the magicians. I feel like root against me. You know, the list can go on and on. And then the hawks. It's very hard to compete when you've got all that negativity, even if you don't know it's there. It's always there, and clearly, I speak for this whole group as a whole. Is that is why we've underperformed to start this year? Amen. All right. Well, yep. That was the last team that we had in the uh, the underachievers, I guess you can say. Um, and now we're going to be over going over to the next category, which you know, super hard to anticipate. Um, the overachievers, you know, oh, who would have seen that coming, right? Um, and I just want to start off with uh, my fellow boy here, the one and only Canadian. Everybody knows where where Nick's stance is for this year. I mean, he made it very, very clear after what week two, I believe, he was hitting everyone up for trades. I mean, you know, if I I knew, I always knew Nick was a person who loves to trade, but man. As soon as he, uh, as soon as he lost that week, and he, he knew what it was, it was just. I felt sometimes by the hour I was getting a new trade, and I am all up for it. I, I love talking trade with this man, but his team, he's in this category for a reason. Because even with him trying to, you know, work for next year or for the future, his team has still done uh, pretty well, and it's, it's kind of sad too because. As a rebuilding team, he has my number one pick, or sorry, my, my first rounder. And, you know, he's just, it's going to be interesting to see what he can turn that into, um, especially anticipating it might be a top four pick, maybe even higher. Um, but enough about his draft capital, because everybody knows just how many, how many first rounders he has. We kind of have to look at what he has in his roster now. When you look at what Nick has, I mean, Biggest name that pops up to me at this current time is one Russell Wilson and then two James Robinson. You know, I'm actually really big on James Ro- Robinson. I talked to Aaron a couple times about him, you know, and the stance that I guess a lot of people has is, well, is this guy for next year? You know, obviously he's doing really well now. He is um, really ca- uh, not carrying the Jags the uh, offense, but he's definitely. Uh, just getting the carries, I guess you can say. He's he's on the field 24-7. He's an exciting player to play or to watch play. Um, he has one of my my homies, Will Fuller. Uh, I miss him. I, I want him back, but, you know, I never really inquired about him because he's let me down too many times. But besides that, I mean, he has a lot of young pieces that are able to turn something or nothing into something. You know, again, I like I said, James Robinson, you have Joshua Kelly, you have Devin Singletary, which, uh, you know, I'm kind of glad I got rid of him. But, you know, he, he still has potential. And that, when you're mixing with the number of the number of uh, round one picks that he has, is this team can really, really blow up, at, um, and, you know, and, and for good in, in terms of like a, in the good way, I guess you can say. I anticipate maybe him doing something that Aaron kind of shot for or what Aaron tried to do last couple years, which is just, I don't know, 
try to get as many picks as you can. And then at the very end, try to get some big names right before the draft to try to to try to bolster up his team. I don't know what plan Nick has, but I know plan, uh, Nick tends to plan things out in that fashion. I mean, you know, who, who knows? We're, we're just it's kind of one of those things where you just kind of have to wait to see what he has drawn up. But I'm um, really excited about this team. I'm I'm happy for it. I I uh, I just kind of want to see what uh, you guys have to say about it. Yeah. So I believe in our preseason rankings. I can't remember the exact position I had Nick in, but I know it was bottom three. And yet here we are going into week eight, and he's atop of the division in the East, um, the best division we have in the league. And that's just something that. Honestly, I don't think anybody was expecting, which really earns him this, in my opinion, overachiever position. And to this rate, I think this is the most overachieving roster of the year. And I don't think that's going to be taken away regardless of how he finishes. But if there is another roster in the league that the Clams can kind of compare themselves to, I would really pick out this Wendigo's team. I think him and I have a very similar approach in terms of how to construct our roster. And we have a very top-heavy or top-talent quarterback. We have a plethora of young wide receiver options, and I like a lot of his. Um, You're looking at Chark. You're looking at Debo. Uh, To mention on the bench, you have Brian Edwards. You have Michael Gallup, who got a lot of hype in the offseason, who if there ever is a potential move, you know his value is going to skyrocket. Denzel Mims. I talked about it before is a very volatile player in terms of what people expect out of him. Uh, the, the ceiling's definitely there just sucks. He's with the jets. He still has Devonte Parker. He still has Tim Patrick, uh, my boy, and he has Preston Williams. So overall, this is a fantastically deep uh, wide receiver core, but I think the primary difference between the clams and the Wendigos is the running back position. Outside of James Robinson, there's really not a single running back I feel confident in, not only in terms of like current position on their roster, but just in terms of skill set and future outlook. And the thing is with James Robinson, you kind of alluded to nobody knows what the future is going like, gonna to look like for him just because of the, you know, the Jags are going to have a high pick most likely in every single round, several draft picks in the first i believe and james robinson was an undrafted free agent so they really don't have any monetary investment into him so it's just a very scary pick overall i think everybody likes watching james robinson but i really think he's a pivotal piece for the wendigos moving forward because like you said with all of his draft capital he definitely can either um, cash in on it and get some upper tier running back talent to help compete next year, assuming that he feels confident in his young wide receivers taking that next step into becoming wide receiver ones because they are sort of starting to enter their prime. Uh, Debo is going to get there soon. Chark is potentially in there already. And if the Jags do invest in their offense, especially at the quarterback position, he could just increase in value overnight. So James Robinson is very pivotal in terms of, I think, Nick's, Uh, championship run or championship contention next year because I really think he's put himself in a real good position to acquire studs and acquire the uh, cheaper veterans um, that are going to be available next year to help him compete if that's what he wants. 
I know Aaron's going to touch more on his defense since we kind of focused on the offense, but this is a team that's I think has been carried by his defense um, in a lot of weeks, and I don't think that can be ignored. Now, again, defense is much more uh, volatile in terms of year-to-year output, both in the NFL and in fantasy from what we've seen so far. So it's hard to predict whether this will continue for him uh, looking into next year. Just because I keep mentioning next year, just because I don't think he truly is a championship contender this year. But overall, I think he's built a very solid foundation moving forward. And he definitely has the pieces um, needed to get a championship uh, contender for next season, which is all you can really ask for as an owner. I guess before I talk about this roster, um, I don't think that it gets brought up enough. Just, um, I don't want to say the word fortunate. But just how, like, it was when, when recruiting owners, you know, online on, like, forums and message boards and stuff, because that's where we were at when we had to fill this last spot uh, for this league last year, the chance of them working out are extremely low. And if no one remembers, um, there was another owner that I found online prior to Nick who completely uh, flaked on us. So it's been really nice to see that, you know, we found this guy online, didn't know him at all, and now we talk with him regularly and he's you know, pretty cool and very good at fantasy. So, so definitely just wanted to you know, take a sec to commission to uh say uh, give my you know gratitude for finding a rock solid owner. You know, without with that out of the way, you guys already touched on the offense a lot. So there's not a whole lot for me to say. Nick, kind of interestingly, we talked about how his defense has been getting him a lot of points, but um, really the way that Nick's constructed his roster, he is trying to scrape. On as little defensive, you know, bodies as possible. He's going for a quality over quantity. He's only got four defensive linemen. He's only got four safeties, and he's got a decent stable of linebackers. Jordan Hicks has been doing really well. Joe Schobert's a tackle machine. Uh, Alex Johnson, really good for Denver. He hasn't even had to start Isaiah Simmons, who he invested pretty highly in this past year. So just all around, he's getting good production of the linebackers every week. He's getting good production from the safeties, you know, more so, you know, they're not name value guys, but they're producing really well for IDP purposes. And the defensive line is doing enough to kind of get the job done on a week to week basis. And so I definitely do agree that I think this team's looking for next year. I mean, it's relatively obvious they have four first round picks, but I do think that this team could still compete this year. I talked about it last week. I don't really know what for running back. Nick could acquire that wouldn't cost one of those first round picks, but there probably is some owner out there who's willing to part ways with a with a marginal talent at running back for one of his lower end receivers. Like realistically, like a guy like Preston Williams or a guy like Devin Duvernay or even Tim Patrick. He's got so many bodies that he's not gonna be able to start them all. So maybe he can move one of them and get somebody at running back, but I don't know. It's a good team. It's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I had them in 11th place heading into the year, so he's really showed me up. And he's got a couple more, you know, stud linebackers that are currently on IR with CJ Mosley and Bernardrick McKinney. So going into next year, I will have to be ranking this team a lot higher than I did this year. And then to wrap up the short category of two in the overachieving category, we have our, our final member of this three-man pod here tonight, the Boston Clams. And I'm going to go out there and I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but I did have this team 
tied for fourth place coming into the year, which was a lot higher than anyone else did. My stance was that the Clams weren't really trying to win, but if you look at their roster, it was going to be really hard for them to lose a ton of games just because of the star talent. And I guess I'll also say that, uh, that imitation is the most sincere form of flattery as Joey is doing almost the exact same thing that I did last year, which is get those stud receivers, accumulate draft picks, figure it out from there. The running backs you can always go trade for when you've got four first rounders, four second rounders, and a litany of wide receivers to trade away. On top of that, Joey's already got some studs at the running back position. He has Kareem Hunt. He has DeAndre Swift, who's been getting more and more involved as the Lions are realizing that he's the best running back by far on that roster. I mean, I don't want to call Dave Montgomery a stud by any means, but but he's an RB2 for fantasy purposes. So this team's already at a spot where they have quality running backs and they have several top-end receivers. I mean, obviously, Juju has taken a big dip in value this year, but DJ Moore, he's still really good on a week-to-week basis. Juju is still startable. He's got Darius Slayton um, as you know, kind of that wide receiver three caliber player. Um, Mike Williams, I feel like, should be getting more involved in that Chargers offense with Justin Herbert than he is. Williams tends to deal with injuries, so I feel like that probably plays some factor in this. And then he just reacquired Christian Kirk, who he's been a big fan of for years. The team is really well set up for the future. Um, I'm going to leave the rest of the talking up for uh, Dan and Joey, but the team is definitely in a very good spot heading into next year. You know, barring you know another dozen ACL tears for next season. Yeah, no, I uh, I would have to agree. I mean, I definitely didn't expect Joey to be doing as well as he's doing now. I guess the area of focus that I kind of want to hone in on is definitely his uh, his defense. I mean, he has what Miles Garrett is what no, number one uh, defensive line at IDP probably. I mean, he's just he's been a stud. He's always been a stud, and he's just going to continue to be you know, great and moving forward with this team. It's something that's just kind of, you know, when you pair up him with uh, young players such as Devin Bush and yeah, Fitzpatrick is still pretty young. And although he hasn't been doing uh, as well as he, as some might've anticipated, these are still names to really kind of remember that, all right, this is what the clams have and they can definitely be a team for the next couple of years. You know what I mean? And just not even that, you have to remember, Joey, how many first-rounders do you have for next year? I have four, just yeah. as many so, as So, I mean, he's just, it's going to be a, it's going to be interesting to see what the Clams are going to have to do. I mean, like, just like Aaron was saying, he has really good receivers. He already has really good running backs. I know he's been trying to move David Montgomery, um, even for a late first, if anyone, you know, has that, to see what, what uh, the Clams are able to come up Maybe, I mean, are any of them, are any of your first rounders early first rounders by chance? I mean, at the moment, uh, let me pull it up right now, but a lot of them are middling first. So I know I have myself, who I'm in seventh place. I have the Hawks, who if they do end up dropping to second, kind of like I'm projecting, will also have a middle first. The Spiders, who are in ninth place, and then the Grovers, who are in fifth. So a lot of them are going to end up being from the uh, 
fifth to ninth spot. Okay, likely. and then when when you're thinking about you know uh, looking into draft season, are you what moves are you what positions are you really trying to improve on? Well, now you're anticipating me giving up a lot of my uh, strategy for moving forward, so I can't <laughs> give away all the tricks in the hat. But um, Jabir's already made it clear that he's going to be targeting ETN at the top of the draft next year. And based on the draft picks that Nick has, let me pull it up just for uh, reference for everybody. You have to cut this out, Aaron. So Nick has the Paladins first, the Wildfire first, the Ducky first, and the Magicians first. So realistically, he's going to have three really late first in the Paladins, Wildfire, Magicians, as I do believe the Paladins do make a late season push. And then the duckies are going to be a middling one, uh, similar to what I have. So I think there's going to be the possibility of me getting a running back, which would really help kind of with the depth, just because I think Hunter most likely will be addressing his wide receiving core. Personally, I'm a huge fan of several of the wide receivers in the next year. So right now, where it stands... I would like to use my draft capital to trade for a running back and then draft receivers that I believe in. Um, again, that could change, but that's my outlook moving forward. Things are falling into place for you, and it's going to be exciting to see how it turns out, you know, and just kind of go um, and finish up on your team. I mean, what? What, what do you have to say? Well, you're, I mean, everyone's there always going to be their worst critics. Critics. What do you have to say about the, the clams? I mean, last year, I was definitely my hardest, harshest critic by far. Uh, it was represented in some of the podcasts. But kind of Aaron alluded to it earlier. He had the clams ranked highest at fourth, tied for fourth coming this season. I think there was, I'm going to sound like, Jabir going off on all of his haters, but I do believe there was some unjustified dislike for a lot of the Clams players coming into the season, which is why I was able to acquire them for um, cheaper than I was going. I was anticipating, and so players like DeAndre Swift falling to me in the draft, trading for Montgomery and DJ Moore, while it did cost me Saquon, it did help the overall depth of my roster so that was okay i that that's one trade where i need to go back and really think how that's going to play out for me long term i did make a lot of moves in the off season and there's still time for them to be evaluated i believe the saquon trade and the moving down from the number one overall pick were the two worst of the deals it, um in reverse order i really despise that i moved down from number one quite honestly but um, overall, I'm really happy with where I'm at right now. I am third in the league in points at 1,285. And so the fact that my roster is able to put up that amount of points and you know, just looking at my team, I don't believe there's a single starting asset that I have that is either going to decrease in value or decrease in production. All of them are going to at least stay constant, but a majority of them are going to get even better next year. And with all the capital I have, I feel really confident moving forward 
So overall, I just think I have a lot of assets that are undervalued by a lot of people in the league, but I don't think that they're production can be argued with which has resulted in me scoring the third most points in the league so as an owner i'm really happy so now that we've kind of wrapped up that last category the overachievers we can move into the contenders which as you all can see by deduction there's four left we have the magicians the grovers the wildfire and the high tide in no specific order but now that we've kind of talked about two east teams in a row we might as well keep the train rolling so, Dan, why don't you take it away and kind of start your overview of the Magicians? Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I think the Magicians, it's still my favorite to uh, to win the ship. It's going to be interesting to see. These are four four heavy teams that we're looking at. You know, there's a reason why they're contenders. When you have the depth, or I guess you can say the the workload that the Magicians running backs have, I mean, it's going to it's kind of hard not to be a contender. I mean, we got Dalvin Cook and uh, Chris Carson, Antonio Gibson, which is a steal at that mid to late second round pick, and Josh Jacobs. I mean, you know, Josh Jacobs as of late has been kind of underperforming. He's had three games where he's totaled 18 or so points, you know, but it's still, he's still young. It's still that Raiders offense. And then you have someone that I'm a really big fan of Kenny Galladay. I know he didn't get as many points as you would like. Galladay just has – give him a chance, and he's going to be able to make those catches, give you those uh, th- those first downs when you really need it, and get those life-saving touchdowns. It's just you need to give him a chance, you know. And Stafford – Stafford just really feeds off of him. Or I guess, you know, just, he just – in order for the Lions to kind of just perform – Kenny Galladay is that key in which they just need to make sure he he he's uh he's freed up, I guess you can say. But yeah, I mean the magicians are just doing really well. When you look at his linebackers as well, is this you have Leighton Vanderish, Vince Williams, and Zach Cunningham who have all been doing really well this year. And it's gonna be hard. I don't really see a weakness at this time. And maybe hopefully one of you guys can point it out to me. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm 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 high on the magicians, and I think that they're gonna do really well. If Devin was here, he could easily point out the flaws in his team. As you want to talk about yourself being your harshest critic, that's definitely Devin. I think he's just trying to uh, keep away the bad luck and keep the expectations low. But again, similar with Aaron being prideful of his clams prediction. I did say in one of the very beginning episodes of the season that the Magicians were my favorite team. I thought they're the most well-rounded, and it's been nice to see their success so far. One thing that I do worry about with the team is I don't think there's a, a flaw on paper outside of the tight end position. I mentioned earlier that a lot of the teams uh, that are up in the standings have very solid, if not elite, tight ends. So I think that that's one place where it could really hurt Devin moving forward. But additionally, I think there's the health of his star running backs is a little concerning. I I know Dalvin Cook's just a little banged up, but the Vikings really rely on him. And that, while it's good for fantasy in the short term, it is a little scary if he's already banged up 
how much more productive he's going to be throughout the rest of the season. And if the Vikings really don't have a shot at playoffs anymore, I don't know if they're going to really ride Dalvin that hard just because they're going to want to preserve him. You look at Chris Carson, I own him in another league. And I've mentioned it before in earlier podcasts, but getting the injury reports for him every single week is quite obnoxious because you love the fancy production he's putting up, but you're scared every single week that you're not going to be able to start him the following week. And you see that now with, a, I believe it's a, a light foot fracture he has at the moment. But uh, Antonio Gibson, I don't think is ever going to get the volume that we'd like, at least this season. He's an explosive player that, I think is the X factor for his roster. Some weeks I could see him putting up 24. Some weeks I can see him putting up four. And so that's going to be really pivotal for him. And then Josh Jacobs, he's definitely underperformed in terms of what we anticipate. But I still really like the player. And for someone that has such high highs, I also think that he has such high floors as well. So I think that's a, a rock in a roster that really needs it, especially with the injury concerns throughout the rest of his running back core. So overall, I think as soon as Kenny Galladay came back from injury, he's looking phenomenal. Uh, I really like having him there. And then Jarvis Landry just gets thrust into a wide receiver one role for the rest of the year. Stephon Diggs is being the main beneficiary of Josh Allen's breakout year. You have Robbie Anderson, who's doing better than anybody would have expected. So just overall, I think if Devin can get some more points out of the tight end position and he can find more consistency on the defensive side of the ball, he's going to have a much better shot at the title. But moving forward, he's not my favorite. I am starting to cool off on the Magicians a little bit myself, but I still think they have a very solid team. Yeah, I don't have a ton to say on the magicians. I think I think he's the only person who did comment earlier if there was any thoughts that wanted to be addressed on anyone's team. And and I quote, it's going downhill and expected to continue going that way. I mean, while he has I mean he did go 0 2 this week and I think 0 2 last week, I still think this team is fine. They're relatively strong at every position group, which as you saw last year was the the recipe to a title um i think the receivers are probably the weak you know the thing that might hold him back obviously robbie anderson has been a really nice find for this roster but if he starts to fall off and teddy bridgewater starts to target dj Moore more and if kenny galladay can't get the ball rolling after his injury and now that obj is injured if Jarvis Landry, you know, for some reason can't increase his production, I think that's going to be the the one position group that might hold this roster back. But I definitely still think that it's just a really good roster overall. All right. And so for the last team in the East, again, another contender, we have the Grovers. Um, this is a team that if you could really just think of a word to describe the roster, it'd have to be resilient at this point after all the uh, injuries they've sustained all the short-term deals that they've had to uh, opt for. Uh, they're still afloat, sitting at fifth, I believe, in the uh, playoff standings. And honestly, I don't know how they keep performing like this. You have Zeke now not being utilized correctly in a very poor offense without Dak, which is 
you, you didn't think Dak would be the glue to hold it together, uh, especially with the talent of the weapons around him. But clearly that's the case at the moment. You have Deion Lewis, who isn't getting any of the touches in New York. You have Sony Michelle, who really isn't the lead back anymore. I know he's been on the COVID list, but he's just not putting up the numbers. Just looking throughout, Devonta Freeman's been a really nice plus now that they've gotten him. I think that that was one of the best options they could have gone for in terms of one-year production. So you kind of mentioned it with the Magicians, Aaron, that their wide receiver core was what's going to hold them back. And we've been talking all year that the running back core for the Grovers was going to hold them back outside of Zeke. They don't have a single running back that's broken more than 33 points. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So again, like we said all year, this really falls hard onto the tight ends and wide receivers. Um, Cooper Cup has slowly gotten better throughout the year, which is not what I was expecting, but Dylan's definitely grateful for it. Deshaun Jackson has underperformed what everybody was anticipating. Granted, he's been injured for a majority of the year, but it's a disappointment regardless. He's just not playing. And even when he is on the field, he just isn't putting up the production that you'd expect. T.Y. Hilton is dead. I'm ready to put him in a coffin. Mike Evans, still Tampa Bay is wide receiver one. And Amari Cooper is the only stable um, offensive piece, in my opinion, in Dallas. So I really think that I mentioned earlier with the Hawks, uh, teams that are very volatile in terms of up and downs. Um, I think the Grovers are another one of those teams. If you look back on this past week um, in terms of scoring, somehow they were able to score 144 points and still get the win. And quite honestly, I don't even think that was their floor. I really think that 160 points is going to be the benchmark for the Grovers moving forward if I had to quantify it. And what we've seen throughout the season is that 180 plus points is going to be the benchmark for success, obviously with some teams breaking the 200 to 220 mark. But I just really don't see a championship potential for the Grovers. And it just sucks because it's not their fault. There's really not, not much more for me to say about it. I don't know what you guys have to say. But I'd love to hear if you guys have some further analysis. Uh, I guess the only thing I just have to add on to it, you know, to really determine where the Grovers are heading, I mean, and to see whether or not he's going to be able to kind of survive, I guess, in this playoff run or season that he's going to be going into, you just kind of take a look at the next couple of games that he's going to be playing. So, you know, in week eight, he is going to be facing the Sharks. Now, is the Sharks really going to be pulling out another, what, 220-plus point game? Probably, probably not, you know. Um, so Grovers definitely have a, ch uh, a chance there. And then in week nine, he is playing against um, the Magicians. You know, you guys kind of uh, talked about it, and so has Devin, that his team has been kind of going downhill. This is where it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, who is really going to be able to come out on top, you know. At this point, I know uh, Eckler one likely will not be back. Because I think the injury report says that he probably won't be returning until late November, early December, which kind of sucks, especially for what he gave up for him. Sorry, I'm the one who had to bring it up. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and we kind of have to see where, where the Vikings are and kind of how you were saying, Joey, what are they going to do with that? Is he going to be 
a an outright producer at this point in time. So it's this week nine time uh, matchup is really important in my opinion. You know, especially when you have the two contenders in the same division battling it out. You know, not to mention the week after he are playing against uh, another contender there that we have not mentioned yet. And it actually might as well bring him up right now. It's going to be uh, the wildfires. I mean, Cole was probably going to sweep the floor <laughs> on the Grovers. Um, but still, it's uh, it's uh, the next couple weeks definitely going to be important for, for the Grovers, maybe as long as he can survive the, the very vicious Sharks. Yeah, um, not much else to add about the Grovers. Um, just kind of an unfortunate... I feel like me and him have been hurt the hardest by injuries. Um, I think Dylan can't blame him for trying. I think he's certainly, I've kind of just, you know, resigned it to bad luck. Dylan's trying to fight through it. He's doing what he can and he still has the star talent, but right now I would probably rank him either third or fourth in terms of these contenders. Um, I think I'd probably go fourth at the moment, but again, all you have to do is make it to the playoffs, and then it's only three games. You know, I could definitely see this team hitting its stride and, you know, having a really good weeks 14 through 16 and end up with a title this year. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. All right, we're down to the final two here. I think we're going to talk about the Honolulu high tide next. Despite this, uh, this owner having it out for me, you know, nonstop, you know, incessantly, um, I do... You know, give this team props. They've made lots of moves. They've shaken up their roster very frequently this year. And right now, I think they're actually in a really good spot to compete. Obviously, QB has been a bit of a disappointing position group. Carson Wentz hasn't looked very good. Matt Ryan has turned the corner since Dan Quinn got fired, but he's kind of, you know, not lived up to the expectations. And then Phillip Rivers is really needing to go to the geriatric unit and not the uh, the football field. But overall, pretty underwhelming group there. Uh, running back, Joey's talked about it enough about how average the group was. He did just trade Devin Singletary, so it's a little bit weaker in that sense. But there's still enough okay bodies in this group to get the job done for right now, assuming that Ronald Jones continues to take over that backfield. But if Leonard Fournette was to ever step up and take over a significant amount of touches, I do think this whole group as a whole is in trouble. Thankfully for this roster, the wide receivers are just absolutely loaded. He has three, I think you can't say worse than top 10 dynasty receivers at the moment. He's got Devontae Adams, who I still think should be number two. He's got Chris Godwin, who I think should still be. Um, in that six to eight range and then he's got dk metcalf who we've talked about last week how he's currently the number one overall dynasty receiver but he in my opinion should be closer towards the the bottom of that top 10 but that's still a ton of talent there and he just acquired jameson crowder for Le'Veon bell which i actually think was a really good move for trent jameson crowder is the only startable asset there in new york and that's a really good group of four that you can depend on on a week-to-week basis and Trent took a gamble on AJ Green, who hasn't looked very good this year, but he could always revert to the AJ Green of old. And then all of a sudden, he has a locked in five receiving 
uh, starting lineup, and then he doesn't even need to start. You know, if Ronald Jones falls off or if David Johnson continues to underperform, he's he's set. Combine that with Travis Kelsey as the best tight end in the league and some incredible booms on the defensive side of the ball. Um, this team definitely is doing better than I thought it would coming into the year. And I do think that he still has um, a lot of potential, you know, going into the the playoffs for this year. If he gets there, of course, as it is a very competitive uh, playoff race there in the wild card spots as uh, every week, it seems like two of the three wild card teams are changing. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess I'll go next for the for the Holland Loops high tides. Um, Aaron, I do have to disagree with you in terms of uh, Kelsey being uh, the best tight end in the league right now. You're, I think you're really underestimating Adam Troutman. I think uh, he was just too much on my team, so I had to drop him to kind of share the wealth. But, uh, yeah, I mean, to kind of go over a little bit with, with uh, what Aaron was saying, I didn't even realize um, just how a stack in the wide receivers – this team is. I mean, it's just Devontae Adams I've always been a fan of. Jameson Crowder has been a pleasant surprise in my eyes, honestly, at least for this year. Chris Godwin, as much as I hate the Bucks, you know, he's a really good player. I prefer him over Mike Evans as long as Godwin can stay healthy. And then A.G. Green. I mean, I do hope this guy just hangs his boots and retires just so that way uh, kind of gives a little bit more to my boy T Higgins, but, uh, you know, and then you got DK. I mean, I don't even know what, I don't even want to know what the value is to try to grab someone as a stud as Metcalf, but the high tide definitely has a nice mix of young talent and just studs, older studs to keep this, this team in contention. Um, you know, there's a reason why he's in this category and it's, it's really not, uh, subtle at all it's really it's really up there i mean keep doing what you're doing and um you know we'll see what what uh will turn out yeah i think you guys really address the uh offensive positions and i know trent doesn't want to hear me call his running backs average once again so instead i'm gonna focus on the defensive side of the ball i think it's insane that trent has three of the top nine uh, fantasy defensive performers. He has Devin White, who is the number one. Let's see here. Yes, the number one uh, fantasy linebacker. Levante David is the number three. And then Jordan Poyer is the number two uh, secondary piece, which for a team that is already stacked at wide receiver has the number one performing uh, fantasy tight end in Kelsey and average running backs. I uh, To have that output defensively is a very nice boost. I think that this team is just a few defensive linemen away, in my opinion, from really locking down a uh, top two finish, in my opinion. I just don't see many other teams that have the ceiling and the high floor that this team does on a week-to-week basis. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that consistency is a big factor, and this lineup definitely has it. So moving forward, I expect before the deadline, Trent to be very active and 
if there's ever time for a team to go all in when you have the fantasy outlook that the high tide do, they've already scored fifth in the league with 1,281 points. I think he can do better. I think this roster can, and I think he has the assets to get better players and make that final push to get him over the edge. Um, I think Trent, again, is a very smart owner, and we've seen him be very active on the trading side of things this season. And I think he is just one or two pieces away before the deadline of locking in a finals run for this roster. So I'm very curious to see um, who he reaches out to, and what pieces he kind of finishes this roster off with. All right. And now that we are uh, getting into the last team again, uh, we, we made it. We said in the beginning, there's no specific order. It just happens to be that your last person we talk about, Cole, and it is the Los Angeles Wildfires. I mean, this team has been nothing short but superb, in my opinion. Um, kind of a little bit of a hiccup last week. You know, it was just kind of unfortunate. He had a lot of a lot of players out um, with Aaron Jones being that surprised. Uh, out even though he wanted to play, you know, Jonathan Taylor was out on uh, – on by and then you had Joe Mixon, who um, also didn't play. I at least I don't. I don't think he played, right? He didn't play at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He didn't play. Uh, I know Cole did make it apparent uh, in in the chat that he is looking for a wide receiver now that OBJ is gone. That's gonna make a dent. I mean, hey, you can always get your boy uh, Keenan Allen back. Just saying, you know, um, for the right price. But uh, yeah, I mean this. Everything is just loaded here in the in in offense. You know, um, when you have the, I guess the only place that I'm personally not too big of a fan is when you're looking at the right receiver depth now, especially when you don't. What just besides Tyreek Kill, I've never been a, a fan of Hollywood Brown. I, I actually don't like any um, Ravens receivers because it's just so up in the air as to who's going to do what. Now you got OBJ who's uh, who's injured. Uh, and when we look at his bench, I mean, yeah, Scary Terry is probably going to – is my number uh, – I'm a big fan of Ter- Scary Terry is basically what I'm trying to say. I'm really upset that I, was a- I gave him away. <laughs> um but you still have people like James Washington, Brashad Perriman. And I was really surprised as to what Marquez Callaway was able to do, especially in this uh, in this last game when Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas ain't there. But how often are you going to have that, you know? Um, but besides that, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the wildfires at this time have the highest oh no actually they're number two in most points scored only about 20 behind of the magicians which we already touched base on and i don't really see it going too much downhill at this time yeah i mean that's that's where i stand with the the wildfire yeah so this is a team i believe i'm actually lower than consensus on and it's mostly because of the wide receivers. I know you touched on uh, Hollywood Brown uh, being a little lower for you. I I think the lack of consistency there, it definitely hurts. Losing OBJ for sure hurts. Uh, it, that's not arguable. You have Tyreek Hill, you have Scary Terry, and that's it. 
in terms of confident wide receiver starts. And when you compare that to some of the other uh, contenders in the league, whether that be the Grovers, the Paladins, the Magicians, or the High Tide, out of those five teams, this is definitely the worst wide receiving core. I think it's also a very lackluster tight end group. Hayden Hurst has put up a solid season. I won't lie at all. And Logan Thomas has definitely been better. Um, Dallas Goddard will get back. But I definitely don't think he has the uh, top-tier talent that uh, the High Tide have or the Paladins have. Or I think even the Grovers have a better tight end core. So it really comes down to that running back core for um, Melvin Gordon, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, and Jonathan Taylor uh, is a phenomenal uh, four-headed monster, uh, very similar to what the Magicians are able to put out. So again, I think that these running backs need to get healthy. They need to get healthy quick um, before the wildfires start falling in terms of the seeding. But this is definitely not my favorite team of the contenders just because of that wide receiver position and not to mention that Lamar Jackson just has not been the fancy monster that we've projected him to be. I believe in terms of fancy quarterbacks, I know he's only scored 132 points on the year. And in terms of quarterbacks, that is good enough for, let me pull it up real quick. He's in 15th. So it, I think moving forward, Lamar Jackson is the X factor on this roster. If he does putting, start putting up the wide receiver one performances that this roster needs, I think that they have the ceiling to beat any team any week just because of those running backs. Um, and the defense is also um, pretty good. I think there's some very uh, high-quality players at each position. But overall, I don't think moving forward this team has the consistency that it would like with only two really viable wide receivers. I think Cole needs to be very proactive in finding some depth into that position. And if that means trading away one of these uh, starting running backs, um, it, it would probably have to be either Aaron Jones or Joe Mixon in order to get two, two or even three potential uh, starting pieces, whether that be a low end wide receiver uh, running back three with like two wide receiver twos, I could see as a potential deal and maybe some draft capital back. But I, I think he, out of all the top contenders, needs to be the most active on the trade block if he wants to secure or have more security uh, throughout his championship run. Well, Cole, unfortunately, based on my, my comment from earlier, it sounds like we will be expecting you in the underachiever section here soon, as it sounds like you do have a couple haters here on the pod. I'll go to bat for you, though. I think the receiver concerns are definitely valid. I, we just don't have the same evaluation on what we look for in receivers. Right now, you're banking on uh, some big production from Tyree Kill and Marquise Brown. Obviously, Terry McLaurin's going to keep doing it on a week-in, week-out basis, but they already touched on those. Um, I do think that probably out of anyone in the league, you've done the best job at uh, putting together a really good defensive uh, defensive lineup. I mean, you've got Jeremy Chin, who's put up 50 points this year. You've got Landon Collins just went on IR, which hurts a little bit, but you do still have a couple okay safeties, you know, potentially fill in that spot. Your linebackers are four deep with Jalen Smith, Demario Davis, Jerome Baker and Darius Leonard. 
And then your defensive line, uh, those trades for Brian Burns and Montez Sweat from this past offseason really seem like bargains at this point. So props for you on that. And so I just think that this team has a lot of potential. Obviously, I do agree that he needs to make probably some kind of move for a receiver. I don't really know where he's going to find one um, because in order to move one of those top running backs, I feel like Cole's going to have to try to justify or you know getting a top receiver to justify that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Cole kind of bites the bullet in that sense. But yeah, overall, this team is really good. Um, all these teams in this top tier are really good. Um, I don't want to say that this is necessarily my favorite, but it definitely on paper does have uh, one of the strongest, you know, the highest upside. And with that, we have talked about all 12 of these teams. We've you know given our thoughts on them. And this is already a pretty long podcast, but I do want to, you know, before we get out of here, uh, ask one question to to both of you guys. Uh, currently, the the playoffs as it stands right now would be the Wildfire, Wendigos, and Hawks winning their division, and then the Magicians, Grovers, and High Tide being the wild card teams. So those are the current six playoff teams. If we're taking a guess as to what it's going to look like ten weeks from now, in week. 16 or you know after week 16 who do we think is making it to the championship and who do we think is winning real quick mm, you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna cash in on my uh my hot take and i'm i'm gonna say that the window goes are gonna somehow some way gonna make it to the championships i don't know how maybe they're just gonna keep continuing to produce as much as they have been but uh that's gonna be my hot take Fair enough. And uh, so I'm really stuck between three. I'm still a believer the Magicians are going to get to the finals. I've actually grown a lot on the high tide in recent weeks. Um, they're probably the favorite, in my opinion. But I'm still I'm doubling down on my uh, Paladins prediction. I do believe you find the way into the playoffs. And I do believe late in the season, with health back on your side, that you still have one of the most formidable uh, rosters. So those are my three. Uh, favorite picks to win. I believe the high tide are probably the favorite at this rate, but if I had to put money down, I'm going to go on the underdog and I'm still going on the Paladins. Well, I appreciate it. And I uh, do respect the, uh, the take that rather than abandoning ship, you're going to go down with it. Um, I can certainly give props for that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give, I don't think this is the most chalk take. I think the magicians win the league this year. Um, and I'm going to guess that they defeat the high tide to get there. Um, I think I think we might see the Wildfire stumble in that conference championship this year. I don't know against which of those teams. I, I'm going to go with the Magicians over the high tide, although, like we said here, um, there's four teams that are definitely in contention right now and a couple more that could very easily work their way back in and you know find their way into a contention. It's just a matter of getting into that playoff, you know, pool which currently there's nine teams competing for six spots so obviously some very good teams are not going to be able to make it to the playoffs this year and ultimately only one team can win so it's going to be interesting to check back in in a couple months and see just how off base we were but um but with that i think we're just about wrapped up here uh, any closing thoughts from you guys Uh, it was nice to have another voice on the pod this week. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Yeah, not a problem, not a problem. Thanks for having me, guys.
All right, that's going to wrap us up here. So, uh, so good luck over the second half of the year, whether you're trying to win or trying to lose. Uh, just remember, you still got to set that full lineup every week, even if you are looking forward to next year. And with that, uh, we'll see you out there. Later, nerds.